For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. In the Palestinian West Bank, the last few weeks were supposed to be harvest season. What's being harvested are olives, mostly, for olive oil, to eat and make soap out of. But journalist Dahlia Hatuka says since October 7th, people have been talking about how this harvest is the most dangerous ever. Some have even been abandoning their trees. I have a friend whose aunt and uncle were tending to their land and they were beat up by settlers. They're, you know, old folks. And the, the aunt, like, had her wrist broken. The uncle's head was bashed with a rock. Oh, my gosh. It just makes me question, like, humanity. I'm like, why, what would lead you to do that to, like, two old people that are just sitting there, like, under a tree, like, having a picnic or whatever, you know? And those are the kind of, uh, of stories that uh, stay with me. These farmers got attacked by Israeli citizens, settlers, who want to establish permanent homes here. And they're doing what they can to drive Palestinian farmers out. Violence like this has actually been going on for a long time. But according to the UN, violent assaults by Israeli settlers against Palestinians in the West Bank, they've doubled since October 7th. The Israeli military is cracking down too. While we spoke, Dolly said she'd awoken to the news of a printing press that was raided in Ramallah, her hometown. She kept hearing about the way the IDF was rampaging through refugee camps. So, you know, destruction of uh, electric poles, um, water uh, pipes, things of that nature. And people go, uh, you know, after the raids, they go and they try to repair things. And then the Israeli uh, soldiers come back and they do the same thing over and, and over again. And it's almost like it's become OK. Things have become permissible. Like, for example, almost on a daily basis, the Israeli military stations its vehicles right outside of Janine Hospital, and it stops the ambulances from going in and out. Why? Because, because they can. I'm sorry, I'm laughing, but like I just sometimes it's really hard to like explain these things because they're suspects. As far as they're concerned, yeah. Dahlia says while the world's focused on the horror in Gaza, there's a slower horror unspooling where she is, as soldiers and settlers continue the grim work of separating Palestinians from their land and from each other. More than a thousand people have been displaced already. There's not like any, you know, like, for example, the Biden administration isn't being like, oh, why are you building settlements right now? I mean, they've got, you know, they're worrying about other things. So, um, so that, that's a scary thing. You feel like the world is distracted. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, of course. Today on the show, Israel may be at war in Gaza, but the West Bank is not at peace. I'm Mary Harris. You're listening to What Next? Stick around.
This episode is brought to you by Discover. When it comes to your finances, Discover wants you to know they are the credit card that is always there for you. With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, that means no more waiting for, quote, normal business hours just to get a hold of someone. We are talking real service from real people whenever you need it. Get the customer service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Can you do me a favor and give my listeners a West Bank 101? Like Gaza, where Israel is waging war against Hamas, is a really small territory, and it's very physically separate from the West Bank. So how does it compare to where you are? I mean, a lot of people, even politicians, they refer to the West Bank as a, as a kind of Swiss cheese. When the Oslo Accords were signed between the PLO and Israel, they divided the West Bank into three uh, administrative zones. There's Area A, where the Palestinian Authority, it's an entity, uh, it administers civil and security manners, uh, matters. And that's where Ramallah, for example, um, is. Area B is where the PA administers only civil matters. So Israel is in charge of security issues. And Area C, which is 60% of the West Bank, this is where Israel maintains full control. It includes all Israeli settlements and two-thirds of the of the West Bank's fertile, uh, like agricultural land. So, if you want to like farm sheep or grow olives, you're going to want to be in Area C, and that's where the Israeli military is in charge. Yeah, exactly. And so, while Area C is a continuous territory, areas A and B are fragmented into six uh, one hundred and sixty six separate enclaves. Can you give me a baseline of what? life was like in the West Bank, especially for people in Area C, the area controlled by the Israeli military, before October 7th, like in the last year or so. What was it like to live in those areas? Yeah. So these areas, especially people in Area C, um, life has always been hard for them because they are ultimately surrounded by settlements. For example, if we look at, let's say, October, November of every year, that's when the olive harvest happens, uh, takes place. And constantly people are either not allowed to access their land by the Israeli military to harvest their crops, or when they do harvest their crops and they go away for the night or whatever, their crops are then stolen by um, Israeli settlers. And not only the crops, you've got the theft of equipment like tractors, um, ladders, uh, you know, things of that nature, like tools. And for people who have nothing except the land, uh, you're taking away, you know, the only means to feed their families. That seems like on its face awful and punishable. Like, why isn't it? Because because Israel doesn't want to punish them. Ultimately, the Israeli government is supporting the settlers. This is a settlement plan. This is a a plan to, to get rid of Palestinians from the land and make way for Israelis. What are the settlements like? Are they 
Do the settlers have the same struggles as the Palestinians who are living in Area C? Settlements are actually a little bit like the places where your, you know, your old uncle goes to um, retire in in Florida. These really nice houses uh, with red roofs. And you can see them from afar because they're always at the top. That, that That's the whole point is that you build settlements at the top and then Palestinians are at the bottom of the valley. And are some of these settlements legal and some of them not? That is a distinction that the Israeli government has created because under international law, all settlements are um, illegal. There are 500,000, so half a million settlers living in the West Bank and East Jerusalem, and that's a lot of people. And for Israelis, uh, for the Israeli authorities, there is a distinction between quote unquote legal settlements, and these are the ones that are given power and uh, electricity and uh, water and um, uh, education and things of that nature. And then there's the the rogue outposts, so to speak, that are randomly set up by a settler and his, a couple of his friends who puts a caravan on some Palestinian man's private land and then decides that ultimately it's his land. And for Palestinians, there's another problem. If a settler attacks you, what's your recourse? Who are you going to call? There's there's nothing they can do. They can't help them themselves, there's nobody to help them because, I mean, nearly half of all attacks, like the UN uh, statistics say, Israeli forces are either accompanying or actively supporting the attackers. And there's no like legal manner in which to kind of fight back. So For example, when there are cases filed against settlers for attacks on Palestinians, fewer than 10% uh, result in an indictment, and only 3% result in a conviction. And this is data that we've seen or, or, you know, that's been gathered by Israeli rights groups in, in the last 18 years. We'll be right back after a quick break. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Hey, listeners, whether you love true crime or comedies, celebrity interviews, news, or even motivational speakers, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue, right? And guess what? Now you can call the shots on your auto insurance, too. Enter the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. The Name Your Price tool puts you in charge of your auto insurance by working just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance. Then they'll show you a variety of coverages that fit within your budget, giving you options. Now, that's something you'll want to press play on. It's easy to start a quote, and you'll be able to choose the best option for you, fast. It's just one of the many ways you can save with Progressive Insurance. Quote today at Progressive.com to try the Name Your Price tool for yourself and join over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company & Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. I'm trying to understand what would cause a Jewish settler to inflict harm on a Palestinian community, drive people out. What do these settlers believe if we ask them? Like, why? 
Honestly, um, it would be great to have an actual settler like speak because I, I don't feel very comfortable like speaking on their behalf. But like my understanding is that a lot of these settlers believe this land was historically their their ancestral land. And so they will do whatever it takes to get it back. I mean, that's something that I I would say I appreciate about, you know, Israeli settlers is that they're very much, what's the wor- right word? Uh, they're very vocal about what they want and how they're going to get it. And there's no lying, you know, they're just there and they say this land was given to us by God for some people. I mean, th- th- those are, you know, a certain um, um, population of, of the, you know, Israeli settlers. And and we're going to take back what's ours. And then, of course, there are Israeli settlers who are there for economic purposes because the Israeli government provides them with housing and education and a place to live. And, you know, it's a it's a good life. Uh, but what causes people to actually inflict harm on other people? Honestly, I don't know. Like, I don't know the answer to that, because the kind of aggression that we see from settlers is is really scary, like so much so that even when we're driving, we always try to drive kind of away from settlements because there might be a settler there, like either with a gun or, you know, if you're lucky with a stone. You literally avoid them. You literally like take the long way. Yeah, you you take all kinds of ways. You take hours upon hours. But that's the thing is that... Like I said, there's half a million settlers in the West Bank and East Jerusalem. So it's not like it's an easy task. But Dahlia says there's also this sense that more settlements in the West Bank, it's not just good for Israeli settlers. I think a lot of um, settlers who live in the West Bank say the construction of settlements improves, ultimately improves the security of Israel. This is something that I I read like um, in uh, Pew, the Pew Research Center. And the argument is that settlements act as a buffer for Israel's national security. So as they restrict the movement of Palestinians and undermine the viability of a Palestinian state. My guess is you see it very differently. I might be different than anybody else, but for me, I, I don't see a way out of this except sharing the land. There's nowhere for anybody to go. You can't, you know, force half a million Israelis out of settlements anymore. It's just like not feasible. And at the same time, you can't displace Palestinians. They're not going to go to Jordan. Jordan doesn't want that and neither do Palestinians. This is, you know... Um, and uh, you can't displace Palestinians in Gaza to Egypt either. And so ultimately, we're stuck together. And a lot of people don't want to hear that. You know, about a week ago, President Biden said he was going to punish settlers who were involved with West Bank violence, who's going to impose a visa ban so people can't come to the U.S. or stay here. What did you make of a step like that? Honestly, I'm rolling my eyes as I'm speaking to you um, because, first of all, 
most of these settlers, <laughs> a lot of them are Americans. He can't deny them access to America. They don't need a visa. No, they're American citizens. Not only that, but also how do you determine who's an extremist and who's not? Ultimately, being a settler is, or being on a settlement, the settlement itself is illegal. So what's what degree, you know, what do you have to do to be determined for the U.S. government to determine that you are um, violent enough not to get a visa and to, not to get a visa? What is that? A slap on the on the hand? And also there is the situation on the ground in the West Bank that could implode at any point in the near future. So there's a lot of instability here. And I think the Americans have a lot of leverage and they're not using it like they should. If you had to guess, like if I called you up in a month or two, do you think your day-to-day life will have changed for the better? Do you think you'll feel more secure? Um, I'm not sure how to answer that because like there is what I like to call a baseline. Like you expect violence or inequality. Exactly. And it's here because, because these things didn't just happen after October 7th. These things existed long before October 7th. Now we're seeing them under the microscope, but we, we've we been through this. We've been through this for a long time. And that's why I'm not very hopeful that, you know, if you call me in two months, I'll be like, yeah, you know, they killed this many people the other day and there were these settler attacks. And we're going to talk about pretty much the same things, you know, but the numbers are going to be different. Do you ever think about leaving? No. Hmm. Um... I like it here. <laughs> I <know> that, that's <laughs> insane. Um, no, I don't because um, I don't know why, honestly. I mean, I do divide my time between here um, and Jordan and I spend my summers in um, uh, Chicago and D.C. So, yeah, I mean, I, I move around quite a bit. And that makes me one of the um, more privileged people, so to speak. Um, But honestly, everywhere I go, my heart is here and it's my home. And I I don't see why I, I would or should leave. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. That's the whole thing right there. That's the whole thing. Dahlia Hatuka, I'm really grateful for your time. Thanks for coming on the show. Thank you for having me. Dalia Hatuka is an independent journalist. She lives in Ramallah. And that's the show. What Next is produced by Paige Osborne, Elena Schwartz, Rob Gunther, Madeline Ducharme, and Anna Phillips. We are led by Alicia Montgomery with a little boost from Susan Matthews. Ben Richmond is the Senior Director of Podcast Operations here at Slate. And I'm Mary Harris. Thanks for listening. Catch you back here next time.